0: Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone, and I am the only person on this podcast today. Uh, Newberg is traveling, giving me nee and Blasting a break. Uh, Zach has been killing it on the recruiting trail. It's going to be really busy next week coming up with the spring game and, and putting together that visitor list, which you can check, out, check it out at Knowles 24 7. He just keeps growing and expanding, and it's really impressive. So it's going to be a busy week for the, everyone at Knowles 24 7 next week. So I just want to chill a little bit and and kind of just have this podcast for me just to talk to you folks uh you guys had questions i have answers some of you were like oh no sinone sinone only sinone i'm gonna fast forward through this well you go ahead you know you could just fast forward if if you're not interested in what i have to say about the football team about my observations from spring practice uh about my thoughts on life and and bourbon and anything else you guys have me and ask me anything list of questions so yeah, or I could talk really fast and just speed it up so you don't have to hit 1.5 or 2.0 speed. I could talk like this the entire time. I just go really, really fast and just keep talking, talking, talking. I got my coffee in me today, so it's going to be fun. I could talk really fast like this the entire time. I could talk about Mac Norvell, delete him and Fuller uh, installing this game again and, and what you guys are learning from it. Uh, year two of the spring, having full spring, uh, the ability to learn. So, no, actually, maybe I can't do that the entire time. So, anyways, uh, you guys... Had a bunch of questions put on the message board at NOLS247. I didn't ask me anything, which I usually like to do at the start of the month and, you know, get my post count up. get some interaction going, kind of set the tone for the month for myself, but also to kind of see what you guys want us to, to talk about, to explore, to write about. It's a good way to kind of start start the beginning of a month. Uh, so here we go. This is ask me anything. Thank you to everyone for uh, for all the questions here. I answered some of them on the board, but uh, some of the ones I can go a little bit more in depth on and want to expound on, I thought would be a good uh podcast content here on the bench. Uh, Here we go. This is it. So starting off strong, FSU Step 7 comes out with Top 3 Fast Food Fries. Go. All right. I I did have time to think about this. I know what my number one is, and I think it's a sneaky good choice a a lot of people overlook. Checkers. Uh, For some of you, I think in the Midwest, it's rallies. Uh, But it's checkers here in Florida. Checkers, fast food fries, uh, super seasoned. Super greasy and extra fried feeling. Uh delicious. I, I love checkers fries. That is without a doubt number one to me. Uh number two. Number two is gonna be a little controversial, uh, because it's so hit or miss. McDonald's. Alright? When a McDonald's fry is hot and fresh and it's got that good amount of grease and the perfect coating of salt, it is a borderline elite French fry. The issue is it just a lot of time come out really cold and um, yeah, so it's hit or miss, but, but, but in terms of, I'm thinking of like the apex of the the peak of a good French fry, it's McDonald's. And, and then finally third, you know, I kind of went back and forth with a few of these here. I, I, I think Arby's like, again, that's kind of a sneaky one because, because Arby's fast food in general is kind of, kind of a little weird. Some people would even say it's gross. I, I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, the Jamocha shake is really good, but they have those curly, those curly Q French fries, uh, with a nice amount of seasoning and, I like those, they're just a little bit different than you know, say a Burger King or Wendy's or even Whataburger. Here, they're a little bit different than generic ones, have a nice amount of, of flavor there. So, yeah, that's my top three French fries. Okay, this question comes from Noel Fielding. He says, Buyer Sonone. So we're so gonna play a little Buyer I guess, today. Uh, FSU signs four or more composite five stars by the time this class is wrapped up in February 2022. So, we're saying. More or less composite five stars just in the 2022 recruiting cycle. While FSU has Travis Hunter and Sam McCall right now, so that's two. One more would be great. I I think you're going to have to fight to keep Sam McCall, and I think a lot of that's going to depend on how the season goes. Travis Hunter continually proves time and time again that he's he's rock solid and totally bought in. Uh, So I feel good about getting both of those guys on signing day. If you can add one more, like a Kevin Coleman – uh, who was talking about coming for the spring. Now he's not going to be able to, as Zach reported uh, a few days ago. <sighs> That'd be great. I just, I don't envision you getting two more. Uh, I'm so known in it. I'm explaining it. I'm over-explaining it. I'm so known in it. I just don't think that we're going to see four composite five stars in this singular class. That would be epic. It seems seems hard to hard to fathom. Noel 939913 champs asks... Do we ultimately lose a quarterback to the portal? Been hearing some rumblings about Chubba. Just wanted your thoughts on it, if any. Uh, so, you know, FSU has two quarterbacks that are both considered true freshmen, technically. Uh, they're listed as redshirt freshmen, but they have the eligibility to basically be considered true freshmen uh, based on, on the NCAA's eligibility rules from this this past pandemic year. So Chubba Purdy and Tate Rotemaker are both in the same class I would say that it's very very unlikely that both of those guys exhaust their eligibility at Florida State. And I'm not saying anything imminent is happening. Please, you know don't mistake me. There what I'm saying is just it's unlikely for a quarterback, you know, multiple quarterbacks to go through an entire college career at the same program just because there's only one guy who can usually play at a time. That's how a quarterback room usually works. So eventually someone is going to transfer. Uh, now, maybe if someone goes and gets drafted early, that leads you know, to, to another player to uh, to step up and be like a one-year starter. That's possible. I just think it's unlikely that you get, get both of those guys through their entire college career at Florida State. So so I'm going to say eventually someone's going to enter the portal. In terms of rumblings on Chuba, like, listen, I, I, I hear them all. I, I think that's extremely uh, irresponsible to put that stuff out there because I don't believe it to be true. Uh, his shoulder is legitimately bothering him. He does legitimately need that to be... Uh, looked at more the rehab process is going to be important because the shoulder that he that he had the surgery on after the collarbone injury this past summer continues to aggravate him it continues to to pop up as something that is uh you know frankly that that's more concerning to me than anything It's like that that injury continues to need work and needs to be looked at over and over again. so the time off for him is to legitimately rehab the shoulder explore his options on what he can do with that uh, that's pretty much what Mike Norvell said I didn't mention the, the specific injury but um I think there's a lot of other sensational stuff going around that, that I frankly don't really want to participate, uh, participate in. Log dog 11 asks buyer. Sinone, a freshman will lead the team in receiving yards next season. Uh, I'm going to Sonone it. I, I think Andrew Parchment is probably your number one. Uh, I think Ontario Wilson and Keishan Helton could also be in the mix there. They're both having solid springs and guys who look like they'll be in the receiver rotation. Um, Malik McLean has flashes where he looks really talented. Looks like a guy who could play on Sundays. Joshua, Joshua Burrell, I think, will be based on what we can see from him this spring, will be someone who makes a nice impact at Florida State. I mean, a, a big, hulking, strong wide receiver, good hands. Uh, he, he'll be someone who I think is productive in his career here. And then, obviously, Destin Hill will arrive in the summertime. If he's as special as advertised, like he maybe will have a chance to to put up some really big receiving numbers. But but I think overall. You're looking for those young receivers to be more supplementary, be guys who make splash plays, who elevate the maybe the ceiling of the room and the potential that you can get to this year. But I think it's going to be those floor guys, the veterans, whether it's Parchment coming in from Kansas, uh, who was really productive two years ago when, when they had a competent quarterback room, or, or even Helton, now that he's healthier, Pokey Wilson's just is rock solid. I, I think that's where I would lean to those guys probably being the bigger contributors based on what we've seen so far this spring. Uh, although I do like the upside of the freshman quite a bit, uh, I'm synoning that it's going to be a freshman leading the team in receiving yards. Oh, another buyer, Sinone, J-Rod, 31. What up, J-Rod? Asks, buyer, Sinone, the most productive offensive player is not on campus yet. Buyer, Um. So, I mean, the most productive, I mean, we're talking quarterbacks are certainly on the room and they're going to be productive, whether it's McKenzie Milton or, or Jordan Travis. And we may end up seeing a, a good sprinkling of both of them in there. I mean, they'll be productive. We're talking about skill players. I think Jay Sean Corbin still is going to be the guy. I think he's probably the front runner to put up the most uh, total yards from scrimmage uh, on the team of any of the guys, skill position players. Uh, like I said earlier, I do think at wide receiver, we're likely looking at maybe Andrew Parchment. So, so maybe if he somehow surpasses Corbin with, with total yards of offense from scrimmage. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm going to guess the guys who are already currently here are probably the front runners. So I'm going... Uh, to Sanone that one. Vorblaw says, buyer Sanone we are 4-1 and one going into the UNC game. That would be great. Uh, let me pull up the schedule real quick. I know Notre Dame starts. I know the schedule is easier um, in the first half of the season for sure. But I just want to make sure I got all the games correctly. FSU 2021 schedule. All right, so you have Notre Dame on Sunday, September 5th. Yeah, I think that's a very winnable game for Florida State. Truthfully, I do. Notre Dame loses a ton on offense, both on the offensive line uh, and obviously at quarterback with Ian Book. So that right there is going to be difficult. But until I see Florida State win a marquee game at the beginning of the season, I'm I'm struggling to totally buy into that one. So uh, I'm going to go 0-1. Now you can lose that game and and things still not completely derail for you. I think this team's mindset and, and will is improved under Mike Norvell then then you could not lose an opener and completely fold for a few weeks fortunately you get Jacksonville State the next week so that's a win at Wake Forest uh you know they lose they lose was Bashamon defense um they were I mean they were a better team than Florida State was last year but I'll I'll buy with Florida State growth on that one I'll buy into that so I'm gonna go with a win Whew, Louisville at home now Louisville loses a ton of skill Talent with with Tutu Atwell, uh Des Fitzpatrick outside, um Hawkins at running back, so you, you lose a lot of your firepower. Damn, I'm gonna go with a win for Florida State there and then Syracuse. I think Syracuse, the wheels are kind of falling off. You know what, guys, I'm buying it. I'm going four and one going into that UNC game. I got I got four and one and you know, you beat Notre Dame, all of a sudden you got momentum going there. I mean, anything can happen. Uh we could be talking about six and zero going into a bye week. How's that for some hype? Uh, yeah, 4-1 four, four and, runner, four and one right now is what I got. Wow. Bye. Heisman1713 asks, Surprised by the Star Powers supposedly coming to Tallahassee for the spring game? I will direct you back to Zach Blostein's uh, running list that, that him and... I've contributed a little bit, Chris and, and Josh have, but this is Zach's baby. Uh, and... It is an impressive visitor list. I mean, somebody's got like 30,000 views for this VIP story too. Um, I mean, if I'm pulling it up here. So the, the quarterbacks alone, you got A.J. Duffy, Nico Marchio, uh, and M.J. Morris all expected to come. You got Damian, uh, Damari Alston is someone who, who I've continually heard good things about FSU's position for. I know Auburn's pushing for him as well. Good running back from up in the uh, Atlanta area. Uh, Jalen Glover. Another guy who's considered an FSU lean, i uh, have got Julian Armella that we are projecting. Uh, Kanaya Charlton, multiple crystal balls in for him to FSU. Dachi Richardson, the same. Um, I'm just going down the list here. I mean, five-star Shamar Stewart, four-star Kenyatta Jackson, four-star Nigel e. Kelly, obviously, commit, as well as Aaron Hester, FSU commit defensive end. Bishop Thomas is someone to keep an eye on. Uh, the five-star Sam McCall, Travis Hunter, for sure. Dion Bowie from uh, from here in South Georgia nearby. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of, of where he's from right now. Someone's probably yelling at, at me. Sonone, you idiot. It's blank. I thought it would help me work. Bainbridge. Bainbridge. I did think of the Chick-fil-A line that was there when I went up like a year ago, went through there. And they had just gotten a Chick-fil-A and it was exactly what you would expect a, a new Chick-fil-A line to look like, like wrapped around the building like three times. Uh, so from Bainbridge, uh, currently a Georgia commit, but FSU doing what you got to do, which is recruit uh, recruit South Georgia. The 2023 group has some some blue chips as well. Richard Yon, a five-star running back. So anyways, there is a ton of guys. I'm giving you guys that information. You can check out the full list on those 24-7. Am I surprised by it? No, no. I mean, to an extent, there's a ton of them. I, I, think, I think there's a decent likelihood that not everyone that we think is going to show up ends up showing up, right? Like, I, I think even if though if you can get half of this list and you can get half of the blue chips that you're expecting, uh, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, if you end up getting everyone, that would be incredible. That would be amazing. Uh, I think what we're seeing is a lot of players are wanting to get out and check things out because they haven't been able to for the past year. They haven't been able to really go to organized events. And while this technically isn't a, a weekend that FSU can host guys on, uh, they, they can certainly put their product on display and, and, guys can get close enough to hear the coaching and, and see, uh, what's going on with, uh, with, with the team and, and see their strides being made and, and kind of get a decent picture of, of, uh, a little bit more than the surface level of what Florida state is doing. So, I think guys in general or, or recruits in general are wanting to go to, uh, I think you're going to see this uptick for a lot of different programs. I think if there is a camp in June, which I, I think we'll see like exactly what the NCAA decides, uh, but I expect some form of visitations to be happening in the summer coming up here. I think you'll see a lot of blue chips as well. One, because there's interest in what Florida State's doing. Two, because the staff has done a really great job connecting over Zoom and and, and showing that they can recruit when there's an even playing field, when you know when everyone is having to to recruit the kids with the same amount of face time. Uh, they've done a really good job of, of that, which is something they didn't have when they were coming from different programs and have a lot of ties to kids in this region. So they've kind of caught up there. And and then third, and, and most importantly, again, kids want to, to go out and in Places and, and get the experience of recruiting because they want to make informed decisions. So those three factors, yes, I think it's it, it is expected. It's it's not a surprise for a bunch of talented recruits to come check out a marquee program in the southeast. Uh, and that's kudos to Mike Norvell and his staff for for capitalizing on those opportunities and finding creative ways for guys to come and visit in the spring. TB Golf 714 asks, how many posts short, are you, short of your quota are you? Um, I'm not short of my quota, man. I, uh, I crank out content. I don't think people understand just how much I write. You guys need to put some respect on my name. I'm not short on content. It's the first of the month. I am ahead on content right now. Olu 84 asks, out of Duffy, MJ Morris, Armella, and Jones Jr., how many does FSU land? So right now, I think if FSU wants to get one of those two quarterbacks and wants to really push, and I'm going to guess I, with with Duffy pushing off his commitment a little bit, I think after visiting Arizona State, so wanting to see more things, I think that bodes well for FSU. And I think that's great for FSU because you want to try to... See, one thing about Duffy and MJ Morris and, and just the quarterback recruiting in general, like FSU kind of got the dominoes falling with Nico Markhill and, and that was one of the early quarterback commits in this 2022 class and that starts and then we've talked about this before on the podcast when a quarterback commits usually in, in the summertime because that's that musical chairs game that starts at that position because there's is a finite amount of spots for them to land it kind of starts this game of, of musical chairs and these dominoes falls and guys have to start making business decisions they have to start deciding i'm going to commit to this place maybe it's not exactly where i want to go right now or i want to do a little more homework but I but I have to commit. I have to make a decision before spots spots start filling up. Vice versa, schools have to start taking guys before before they you know, have to start moving down to different tiers of quarterbacks or their board starts changing. So you have to be aggressive. So when Nico Markel commits, it does start a bit of a chain reaction where other schools starts kicking and start pushing for quarterbacks. Guys start committing, and, and FSU's been transparent that it wants to. Uh, it's tough though. Like they haven't seen any of these quarterbacks in person for Duffy. He didn't play last year, so you're watching. My audio cut out. I'm not sure why, but I'm back here. I'm recording. I don't know why the audio did that. Um, Get together, GarageBand. I'm trying to record a solo man podcast. I'm a single parent right now. I'm cooking. I'm cleaning. I'm the emotional support for this on the bench podcast. And the least you can do is record. That's literally my only purpose for you, GarageBand is to record my voice so people can be annoyed with it. Uh, As I was saying, there are limited amount of spots for quarterbacks and, and so the pressure gets cranked up a little bit. So FSU hasn't seen all these quarterbacks uh, in person yet. So what I'm trying to say is that A.J. Duffy uh, expanding his his recruiting timeline is a good thing because that maybe gives you a chance into the summer to evaluate him in person if he can possibly come to campus. As I mentioned earlier, if that's a possibility in June, that would be huge. Same thing for M.J. Morris. You can see those guys in person, see what's what. What's what? Um, I do think you get one or the other, though, to answer the question there. I think you get one of those two for sure. Uh, Let me see. Who are the other two names that you had here? Oh, here we go. Uh, Armella and Jones Jr. So Julian Armella and Jones Jr., Marvin Jones Jr. are both FSU legacies. I think you get at least one of those two legacies. Obviously, if you get both, that's awesome. Both are, are blue chip recruits, one on the offensive line, one at defensive end. So high priority positions. I'll go with one of two. So I think one of the two quarterbacks, I'm going to go one of two, Armella and Jones Jr. I think that maybe it's a little optimistic, but I don't want to say just one. I, yeah, I, I would take the over. Like I think if I was sitting the over under, I think 1.5 is what I would do. And in this case, I would take the over. I would take the over. I think you're going to get two. The, the quality, by the way, uh, on this microphone, when we're not doing it over Skype and we are, it's just me doing it on GarageBand, the audio quality is so much better. You can hear me, like, scratch my beard. You can hear the dryer, which is literally across the house. You can hear the dryer going still. I think, yeah, it's still going. That's crazy. That's impressive. I'll give you credit for that, GarageBand. You may, you may quit all the time on me, but uh, your, your quality is impressive. Tampa Null asks if Newberg is going to be in Tallahassee to help and Zach for the spring game to help interview recruits. I I talked to Josh briefly this morning. He would like to. I I think it depends on uh, what the travel policy for 24-7 is going to be. If he can stay at a hotel overnight, he should be able to, I think, at this point, especially if it's like you're just driving in the car. uh, He should be able to. So that'd be great. Get the whole gang together. Uh, Maybe go get a dinner outside, socially distanced safely. Uh, Tampa Noel also asks who your breakout players for this year on offense and defense. All right. I like it. I really like it. We're going to start doing some, some really early prognostication here on offense. This was my breakout candidate last year and he kind of broke out. He he certainly, he set some career numbers. Uh, It's, it's Cam McDonald at tight end. Uh, I'm pulling up his numbers just to make sure I have him here. So you can see, like I wasn't totally wrong on this. Like he was somewhat of a of a breakout candidate, Cam McDonald. So this was his first year as a as a starter for the Seminoles, uh, after being kind of basically a career backup and, and a special teams guy, and, and he got his you know his chance to be inserted into the starting lineup. And my thought process last year was, you know, Mike Norvell loves feeding the tight ends. He loves finding them. You know, whether they're split out wide, uh, coming out of the backfield like an H back type of thing, or, or just being a tr- traditional like inline tight end. He loves utilizing that position uh, in his game. However, uh, FSU dealt a pretty bad blow in the preseason with Jordan Wilson, suffered the the lower leg injury, uh, and so what that does is, one, forces Cam to go in line a little bit more as a blocker. You're not able to move him around as much. You end up having to use Preston Daniel, a walk-on tight end, and and then Wyatt Rector, see, it's more familiar with that position, sees his role increase a little bit more, but, but it's a big learning curve for all of those guys, and I think it really kind of limited what you could do creatively with cam mcdonald so uh cam ends up having 23 receiving or 23 receptions for 263 receiving yards two touchdowns those are career highs for him that was third on the team uh in receiving yards and it was second on the team in, in receptions the only people with more were ontario wilson and wide receiver and Terry, who obviously only played in a few games uh, but that was it that was it so he had more than any other wide receiver returning other than pokey wilson i think based on what we're starting to see this spring the last couple practices for Cam McDonald have been really sharp where that athleticism is showing. And it's not just him getting downfield and being fast and and bouncy, but using his body well to adjust to the ball, a good concentration. Uh, I starting to get some confidence and a little swagger to him too. I like what I'm seeing there. If that continues, if that progresses, and if uh, whether you get Wyatt Rector, uh, Jordan Wilson, when he comes back and he's healthy, you get a second tight end who can help alleviate Uh, some of cam mcdonald's inline responsibilities and get him to be flexed out as a receiver and move all over the place i think he could double that production i think he'd be a 500 receiving yard type of guy at least close to it uh so right now yeah i'm gonna make make cam my breakout player for a second consecutive year as of right now on defense can i can't choose i'm pulling up the stats here to make sure that this isn't like me cheating Do Someone who was good last year, like I can't do Amari Gaynor even in a new role or because he was good or even Steven Dix Jr. because he at least played a bunch. He had 44 tackles. I don't know if Steven Dix is going to double that or not. Uh, And I can't do like a Jermaine Johnson who transferred here. I think that's probably cheating to call him a breakout player. I think Jermaine Johnson's a stud. Really like what I see from him. I'm going to go Fabian it. I like what we're seeing from Fabian Lovett. It, it can be tough sometimes to judge. Like, is he beating up on a couple of reserves on the interior of the offensive line? Or is he really taking that next step? Mike Norvell seems to think so. I know he's someone in practice. We see him flashing consistently. He's in the best shape of his career. I don't think that's hyperbole. Like, he looks explosive off the ball. And he's been in sustained spurts of dominance, too. Uh, so, last year he had 14 tackles. Uh, did he have a sack? I don't even know if he had a sack. He had one sack. 1.5 1.5 tackles for loss. He steps into being a full-time starter this year. I think you can see him, whether at, at the one technique or three technique, move around inside a little bit. But I think you're going to see a ton of Fabian Lovett this year. Uh, so, so I'm buying on his stock right now. Uh, he is, to me, a, a really prime candidate to break out. okay let's see next one next one next one what do I want to talk about what question do I want oh you want to ask me about bourbon big drip no I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about some bourbon what's your prized bourbon in your collection how did you obtain it what was the thrill rush like well it was about a year and a half or so ago I think we were recording an episode of on the bench in the morning and I got access to the ABC fine wine and spirits vault program which basically if you spend a certain amount of money I know some shortcuts on how to save some money, but if you spend a certain amount of money as part of the uh, ABC liquors in this in this area, um you're able to get access to some really heavily allocated fantastic bourbon at reasonable prices, like basically MSRP, maybe a little bit above. And so I got access, I got the vault invite to this is gonna be a, a cop out, Pappy Van Winkle 15. Uh, and I think some of you guys might remember that that podcast. I was super excited that I got it. I was like shaking. I had to stop stop recording have Josh and Chris do it and uh, and do the recording. And I just ran to go get my wallet and get it all squared away. And then, you know, of course, couldn't just let me have the moment, right? People in the medical board like, oh, pappy's overrated. It's overrated if you're spending a thousand dollars on it, like a like a dum dum. Don't spend a thousand dollars on a bottle of a whiskey. I, I wouldn't advise that. Uh, but if you're spending you know $120 on it, you know where your money goes. Like it's a special, really great bourbon. Uh, the people who are fatigued call it "pappy fatigue." I, I, I question your sincerity in saying it's not a good bourbon. I'm just gonna leave it at that. It's a damn special bourbon. It's excellent. It's one of the best I've ever had. It's a bottle that I like to share with friends uh, when they come over. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting my dad, who in the past year and have been able to see him. Uh, he, he's gotten into bourbon in the past year and start a little collection of his own. Uh, he's all vaxxed up. I'm all vaxxed up. I, in the next month or so, going to get down to St. Pete, see, I'm bring down the Pappy and, and share that with them. Uh, that's a bourbon that I've only had by myself once. And that was the first time I got it and I just cracked it and wanted to try it, you know, in case they died or something the next day. Didn't want to like have the Pappy just sitting there. My wife not know what to do with it and know that it was special and just like give it away to to Pat across the street for, for nothing. Um, and I've shared it with Pat across the street. I've shared it with Wayne uh, McGahee when he's come over before, uh, Chris Need's been invited to have it. And I think he passed on it, which was crazy, but whatever. So yeah, I, I like to share it. Uh, and it's a prize bottle. Also George T. Stagg 2018. That's the year my wife and I were married and I got that bottle, uh, after like a really difficult, like my, my pup was, my dog was really sick for like six months or so. And, and, you know, after that all ended and uh, there was a, a few months after that, I knew where this bottle of George T. Stag was. There was a little bit more money that I wanted to spend for it, but it certainly less than what you can find for, you know, online. It wasn't what you see for the secondary prices quite. I was able to talk them down a little bit down in a, a rural area here in Florida, kind of outside of Tallahassee. So I found it, I uh, procured it. Uh, and so it's just, it was kind of a treat yourself type of deal. And it's a bottle again, that has some sentimentality to it. Uh, both are from Buffalo Trace line both are excellent if you can find them at reasonable prices the veer and shoot asks is karma real yeah karma is real hell yeah I, I i think unfortunately like we don't always get to see that karma uh you know return to the people who do really you know poor things uh on a consistent basis we don't always get to see that come to fruition but uh but i believe it exists um not to say that that Bad things don't happen to people who generally do the right thing or that people who do the wrong thing don't sometimes get some breaks and some benefits. But, but generally speaking, if, if you do bad stuff all the time, uh, it'll eventually catch up with you sooner or later. I'm, I'm a believer of that. Uh, if you want to call it karma or however you want to label it, just, you know, treat people decently. It's probably good, good approach for life. Uh, if so, between who, between you, me, nee, and Berg have the most positive karma built up. I'm a sweetheart. I have the most positive karma built up. Okay, scrolling down here. Tampa Knoll. Tampa Knoll coming strong with the questions. Tampa Null 776 Who did you like more personally? Willie or Jimbo? I covered Jimbo longer. Um, I wasn't super close to, to either of them. Jimbo, at least, I feel like would enjoy seeing me sometimes. And like we were able to have some like decent conversations off the record. Um... Yeah, yeah. And he was actually would be kind of warm and gregarious and, and fun to talk to. And and then it kind of he would always call me Brandon, but whatever. You know, I'm not going to correct Jimbo. He wants to call me Brandon, call me Brandon. It's fine. Uh, Jimbo, you always kind of knew where you stood with him, too. If he was pissed at you or didn't like something about it he, he didn't really or that you had written or said he didn't hide that. And I appreciated that, too. It wasn't passive aggressive or anything like that. And then at the end, in the final year or so, it just got weird. He got really guarded and really defensive. Clearly was not happy. He was looking for a way out. Now, in hindsight, that's very clear. Uh, but at the, the apex, Jimbo, probably. Uh, Willie, I never got that close to. It's funny, I was closer to some people on his staff and, and warmer to, to them. But but Willie Taggart never felt really warm and fuzzies with. And, and that's fine. That's how that relationship, you know, you're not always going to be friendly even necessarily with the guys you're covering doesn't mean you have a contentious relationship either just means it's kind of neutral and and that's fine no big deal stand 21 sorry I, i butchered that let me try that again three two one stand 21 asks if parchment so it's andrew parchment wide receiver and wilson i'm assuming pokey wilson are our top two wide receivers on the outside i think there's a decent chance that happens uh where do where does destin hill fall is he a slaughter outside guy in our offense and also uh you think will be our who do you think will be our number two if quarto is the number what i don't know the second part of the question stand 21 i'm sorry i don't understand what you're asking me the second part the the first part i can kind of and kind of jive with a little bit here uh dustin hill Four star recruit with legitimate four, sub four, four speed. It's been timed in the four threes electronically. People don't want to believe it. I mean, then take it up with the, the computers that are timing it and the lasers and whatnot. I'm not going to argue with lasers. Okay? They can slice you in half if you uh, if you cross them. Dustin Hill's really fast. Uh, we've seen from his high school highlights that, that not only is he fast, but he's also really twitchy and quick and a strong runner after the catch, like physical. Has good jump ball ability as well. There is enough there to say that you think he can be a special talent. Possibly a guy who plays on Sundays without even seeing him on person. You just look at, at the, the tools that he has just from, from far away from video and, and you can see that he's special. I expect him to play. I expect him to probably play a lot. I've already said here on this podcast, I don't think he's, he's probably one of your leading receivers, um, but he could be in the top three or four. I don't know if he's one or two, but he should be in the mix and you got to find different ways to get him the ball where he lines up. I would say this stand, 21, don't think of the Mike Neville offense when it's at its best, when it's at its peak, when it's operating the way he wants it to, when it's not restricted by the different things it was restricted by last year. The special players that he wants to get one-on-one, he will move them around. So Destin Hill going out wide, going into the slot, maybe even playing in the backfield or getting the ball like on jet sweeps and stuff. I think you will, if, if he comes to preseason camp and performs the way we think he possibly can, uh, you're going to see him all over the place. So I would not think of it in terms of slot receiver, outside wide receiver. Norvell has put smaller guys like, like Anthony Miller or Keyshawn Helton outside in the past. He put Tamarian and Terry in the slot a little bit last year, but moved them all around. So he's going to move guys around. Uh, I think yeah, he'll probably plays in the slot more than he plays outside, but I would try not to think of it in in the context of is he a slot guy or outside guy if he's a one, two, or three. Uh, the answer to that is is the good players, the ones who they, they think can, can make plays will be moved around to take advantage of, of different matchups that they see throughout a game. FSU 2014 asks, how much money did you lose on penny stocks over the last six weeks? Uh, I'll put it this way, man. It's only a loss if you sell it. So, yeah. FSU Jordan Seven asks, "How do you feel about the proposed stadium changes?" Oh, this is a good question. So, well, not not the other ones haven't been good, but this is a, a topic that I wanted to discuss on here regardless, because it, it's news, it's newsy, it's new information. Uh, basically, FSU the Board of Trustees yesterday approved a proposal. Uh, a, a couple things, but excuse me, a, a couple things, but one of those it was to go ahead and start planning for changes and construction to Dope Campbell Stadium in 2024. It's so a little bit down the road, uh, but basically what we're talking about here, and I'll do a Cliff Notes version of it, uh, and this is off the top of my head, but you'd be looking at construction in a few different areas and primarily to the seating structure uh, of, of the stadium that would reduce seating capacity from 80,000, so 80 to 70,000, 000, 70,000. Zero. Uh, So it's a 10,000 seat difference, and I think some people initially see that and like, oh, you know, we can't float the stadium, and, you know, it dokes at its best when it's full at 80-something thousand plus, you know, we've cut down uh, capacity before, but but guys, that's the direction where sporting events are going. This is pre-pandemic, too, like like this was happening even beforehand. I think it's going to be a pronounced difference even afterwards, too, where you're seeing more and more people decide they just want to stay home they want to invest their money in nice tvs cool setups get a nice glass of, of bourbon that you can crack into at home not have to travel so what fsu has done here and it's used uh, some different you know, agencies to kind of figure out like what fans want and, and do some surveys and, and the feedback they've gotten is like if we're going to travel and if you're a florida state fan and you go to games the odds are if you're listening to this podcast you, you probably have listened to this podcast while traveling to florida state to tallahassee because the majority of FSU fans don't live in the bubble of you know ninety miles or so around Tallahassee, uh, the way it's set up is these big metro city metropolitan cities like like Atlanta, uh, like Tampa, uh, bigger ones like Jacksonville, uh, Orlando. People who go out into the panhandle, uh, you're talking about four hours or so driving. So and then South Florida as well, like like Fort Lauderdale and. Uh, in Miami, uh, which is where a lot of big chunk of the student population comes from, too. And they obviously become alumni and, and sometimes boosters as well. So if people are going to be spending the time, the money to travel, you want more bang for your buck at the actual football game. So what they're doing is is reducing the capacity and they're taking away a lot of the the bleachers, right? a lot of the, the seats there. And they're going to do more suites, more uh, intimate seating experiences where like, so one of these cool things that they're going to do or they're proposing to do is by the 50 yard line uh, on the sideline where FSU is, you're going to take uh, some of those, those closest rows. You're going to add almost like a lounge where you can, and they've done this like in, in Atlanta and they have, it's really cool. You could basically be like field level lounge and then you can go up to like a railing and look right out the field. You're like basically looking at, at the game through the prism of like where players are standing and you're just right behind them. So uh, some other areas of the stadium i think it's in the south end zone uh they're going to be getting rid of a bunch of again of, of the bleachers and putting in more like comfortable chairs more like sofa like chairs uh, different types of of lounge or cabana style viewing experiences uh, they'll have it uh they'll have it shaded which is going to be a huge plus as well so the money that they're putting into this construction would be again as proposed to, to really enhance the experience of a lot of the higher paying fans the people who are spending the money to to be season ticket holders to travel all the time so yeah on paper i i like the changes okay next up let me see i'm searching for one. i said i was gonna put on the podcast you like this this mechanism here this whole typing one it sounds good right but the two is like a nice it's like a nice prop to make it seem like i'm doing a lot of research and information i mean i i am but so you guys really can feel that, right? It's a big, it's an old, it's an old cast prop. I learned that from listening to Bud uh, saying I'm going to look up this here and then it's like, man, Bud, Bud knows his shit. It's like, yeah, because he's typing stuff. That helps. It's a good, it's a good prop. I like it. I like it. It's, it's helpful. Makes you feel like you guys are right there with me as we're all learning stuff together. Uh, Electronull asks, just purchased my first bottle of Buffalo Trace, my new go-to affordable bourbon. You with me? Hell yeah, man. You can find Buffalo Trace for, say, 25 bucks all day. All day, it's a tough one to beat. Uh, Wild Turkey 101, if you like something a little spicier, like at $22, $23, just as good, maybe a little bit better, uh, depending, again, on what you like. Old Forester 100, I recently discovered, and at $23, it is awesome. I would contend it's better than Buffalo Trace or Wild Turkey 101 at the price. There, I said it. NC NCNoll1990 asks... Questions for all three. Like this is for Josh and Kristen. They're not here though, so it's just me. Growing up, what was your dream job? I wanted to be a sports reporter for a really long time. I was in middle school. I wanted to do something creatively with sports, with writing, with recording, with basically taking sports information, uh, understanding it better, and, and spitting it back out in a way that was kind of fun for people. And uh, here I am, get paid to do this. Uh, Mr. Foreman asked Do you think Marcus and Douglas contributes this year at tight end? Uh, one really cool to see Marcus and Douglas out there practicing the spring. Uh, he's a huge specimen. He's like 280 pounds. He's put on weight. It's about six foot five. He moves well for a bigger dude. I'll be honest, uh, but to just to see him out there at all is great because we weren't sure, honestly, if he was going to play again. That, that was something that we've talked about on the podcast. Didn't want to go into like the, the details of it, but was told that there was medical reasons that that were pointing to potentially be medical DQ to something that was going to be considered because he went without practicing his whole entire first uh the whole the whole season, this whole first season. He he didn't practice once. So good to see him. I, I don't think he's someone who's probably going to contribute this year. Remember he he's someone who only started playing football full time a couple years ago. Still very raw, uh unrefined. So so no, not this year. I would be surprised if we saw him outside of like special teams contribute. But uh, the fact you have him there, the fact that he looks apart, he's a big dude who can move around, like, all right, that gives us something to work with. That—that that, That's a good sign. Heavy C asks, if you had FU money, uh, wouldn't that be nice? Um, I am doing my dream job, and I get paid. I get paid a, a good living wage off of that, but it's not FU money for sure. Um, but if you were, and you kept your job on the bench with the knolls, where would your crib near Tallahassee be? Yeah, I think, I mean, if I was covering FSU, it would be difficult to cover it from further away. That that would be something, the way I cover the team and liking to be there at practices and, and whatnot and get that color for you guys, that'd be difficult. So I'd want to be fairly close. Um, I, that's, I wrote this yesterday. I answered this one on the board. I would like to stay within like 20 or 30 minutes of town. Uh, right now on the north side, uh, kind of close to, to Mayhand in, in I-10. Uh, I would like to go a little further north, either up in Miccosukee or Centerville area where it's like got all those nice canopy roads still, um, and then find a little bit of space there, like 20, 30 acres, build a nice farmhouse. Doesn't have to be a huge one, but nice one, big old open lighting for my wife. She likes lighting, lots of windows, uh, but have our, our privacy with like 20 or 30 acres and really just never have to see anyone. I, I kind of hate a lot of people, uh, not you guys listening, but just in general, um, I'm awkward. I hate my interactions with being awkward. So yeah, if it was just my wife and my dog and myself and, you know, my friends who I choose to come over at my own terms when I want them, instead of uh, having to, to be friendly to people I don't know very well. Uh, again, it's not a other people thing. It's more of just a mean, liking my interactions with them thing. Um, Centerville, get out and kind of farm country a little bit would be, would be nice, but I don't want to do any farming. Uh, Mr. Four Man buyers to known, Travis Hunter signs with us. That's a big old buy. Travis Hunter, I am totally um I, I just don't see him not signing with FSU, knock on on wood. I think he's he's down for FSU right now. Uh, the way things are currently comprised with Marcus Woodson here coaching, uh with the team showing that it's maybe moving in the right direction. As long as those things continue for the foreseeable future, uh we're good. Tampa seven seven six asks, "Does FSU beat Notre Dame the first game of the year?" I said that earlier. No, I don't think so. I need FSU to uh, to show me. Like, I need to see it to believe it uh, that uh, that this program is capable of winning winning its first game of the year and a marquee one. It's been a it's been a while. It's been old Miss twenty sixteen was the last time they won a season opener, if I'm not mistaken. Podcast podcast. Dehazy, I don't think I, I, I don't think I answered this one on the thread, Dehazy. So, here we go. It's a longer question, but I'm here. Right, let me take a nice swig of my coffee. Get ready for this. Paper Fox Coffee. If you want to sponsor on the bench, I enjoy your product quite a bit. All right, we all know QB is important but what unit offensive or defensive has the either has to either play to their capability or play above what is expected of them for FSU to win eight games and bring in all these studs. Oh, all right. So you're saying, you know, if FSU needs to exceed expectations, what you need to overperform. And that would then lead to, you know, you not only getting Travis Hunter and Sam McCall, but, but also convincing like a, like a, like a Kelvin Coleman or, or guys of that nature to also like totally buy it. I got you. I'm, I'm seeing what you're putting down there. Second part, you ask on the other hand, other than quarterback, which unit plays so awful and shows no improvement, and we probably blame them for a three to four win season. <coughs> all right, Jesus, all over, all over here. Um I mean, quarterback is really kind of the, the linchpin. Like you need quarterback to play well to have a chance to either win eight games. And if it doesn't, then then you're talking about uh, three or four wins. So that, that's fair, but yeah, I think to really, you know, I think if you get let's say average quarterback play, McKenzie Milton's solid, Jordan Travis is solid. Uh, if you see that and you say, okay, that's about six wins. If we get good production from them and around them, who do we need to step up to elevate their game to take that six wins and be good for two full wins defensive ends and uh, Jermaine Johnson, if you can get one other person along with Jermaine Johnson to consistently bring pressure or say like a care Thomas to come in and just be a badass edge setter. Uh, If you get one of the the freshmen or Derek McClendon to be someone who's twitchy and, and, and can help Jermaine Johnson get to the quarterback you can consistently put pressure on the opponent's quarterback and and win on third down win on passing downs and and win in between the margins there uh you know affect field position and, and and drives yeah defensive end I think is the one on that side of the ball like if you guys you know right now I think they have the chance to be average defensive ends with Jermaine Johnson there if if the young guys can step up and make that an above average room or even a good one I I think that's a big difference maker and then on the other side of the ball I'll I'll go wide receiver um the depth there I think maybe a little bit better than I initially was expecting seeing Keyshawn Helton and now Ontario Wilson kind of get into form here in the spring and then mixed with what you're hoping you bring with Andrew Parchment and uh in Destin Hill, in terms of potential and upside for what they're going to do to, to elevate the floor and the ceiling of the receiver room, and then uh, mentioned McLe- Malik McLean and uh, Joshua Burrell earlier. It could be a good group. It could be a good group uh, if if they all kind of live up to their potential. Uh, right now, though, I, I think it's still like a average to slightly below average one without those additions of of Parchment and Hill. If they come in and really elevate the receiver room like I think they can and then maybe even exceed that, like if, if Parchment finds his 2019 form and even builds on that, then, yeah, I think that's another, like, that's another way you can kind of win in the margins there and, and squeeze out an extra win or two. Okay, a couple more here. Let's see. Starting to wrap this podcast up. Warbla asks, how many commits do we get right after the spring game? I'm going to set the over-under at 2.5. 2.5. So tell me, people, are you taking the, the over or the under for, saying you know, the week after the spring game, guys who are visiting? I'm going to say two and a half, and I'm including multiple classes there. I think I would take the over. I, I think Mike Norvell, from what I understand, Mike Norvell does enjoy the aspect. We saw some with Willie Taggart. Of creating recruiting momentum and trying to get a bunch of guys to pop at once at certain times to kind of take some of that momentum into different portions of the year. So either right before the season, like during a, a late you know summer camp, or you know, maybe here in the spring game to kind of create some momentum and get guys wanting to come on campus in June if that is allowed. So I'm gonna guess like if they have guys that they're close to you know accepting, they're gonna push for it or try to green light some commitments. Uh, so yeah, I would guess more than. More than two and a half over. I'm taking the over there, but let me know what you guys think. Uh, Box and Bug asks ACC expansion, who do you add and who do you get rid of? Uh, 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 You know who I'm going to say I want to add. I'm adding UCF because that's a Power Five program. Uh, I do think a lot of FSU fans, and same thing like saying the SEC with Florida, would say, no, 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 no. We don't want to add another Florida team that's going to eat into our territory. Well, you know what? Alabama and Auburn are in the same freaking division. They both com- competed for national championships in the past past decades, so you know, I'm not, I'm not against uh, putting in UCF, but but maybe more seriously, I do think UCF would have value to some Power Five program. If it's not the ACC, I would understand why with with not want to piss off FSU and get into that footprint. Um, I mean, I think you gotta try to push for Notre Dame if you can. I don't know if Notre Dame wants to. I don't know why they really would if their TV revenue is good enough without it, but. You know, if you can somehow, if you're Jim Phillips and you can somehow work that, that would be huge. If you get Notre Dame in there full time, uh, getting expanding into, like, say, Texas uh, area, getting Houston would make sense to me. Um, trying to think of some others that would that make sense. Uh, I would say, like, in terms of, like, pushing some people out, I don't think that's the direction that's going to go. But, you know, what has Wake Forest ever really done? It's going to be honest there. And I yeah, the Greensboro trip. No offense if you're from Greensboro. Got good golf courses, but um, uh, you know, there's cooler road trips there. So just for my own personal selfish reasons, I don't like having to go to Greensboro every other year. And athletically, again, what's what's Wake Forest doing for you? Ben Cooner asks the most improved position group in twenty one. Ooh, um, I'm gonna go with the secondary. To go the secondary one because it was abysmal last year. Injuries didn't help, but confusion in the scheme and uh, just guys not really buying into to the scheme is pretty prominent. Uh, so you bring back say like Jarvis Brownlee, someone who did definitely buy in. He's going to be a factor just as someone who, who's scrappy, who tries hard, got some good athleticism. Then you put him outside at, at a field corner spot and kind of let him go to work. Uh, but then you add in you you add in some nice guys like a Bam Moore. Liger Jarquez McClellion, who's, who's apparently working at, at safety, uh, and then Jamie Robinson at the nickelback spot. And I think he automatically becomes one of your most consistent contributors on defense and will play there in a full-time capacity, it looks like. So automatically, I think the floor of that room is raised. The depth is better. Jerrion Jones has looked sharp this spring, still working on consistency, but he's making plays. He said he was banged up last year with the various things. Uh I'll I'll choose to believe, like, yeah, like if you say you're feeling healthy now and that makes a difference for you, yeah, cool. I'll I'll buy into that. it's a preseason, so that's the time of year we can buy into that kind of stuff, right? Uh but he has looked good. I've seen it with my own two eyes. He makes a big play almost every practice. Uh so you got jerry Jones, if he's better than last year, that obviously elevates a, a starting position for you potentially. Uh Travis J. Uh, we haven't seen a ton of Renardo Green, but you know, once he's 100% healthy, you know what you're getting to Renardo, I think. You're not a dynamic player, but a, a, just a very good solid one that helps the back end of the defense. Amico Dotson was hurt most of last year once you get him back. So I think there's a lot of guys who who raise the bottom of the room, raise what like it should be. I don't know if you have a lot of guys who are going to you know, bring it to the this elite level that raised the ceiling, so to speak. I know I've used that analogy a few times, but it's an oldie or goody. so I've used it a few times on this podcast. I do think that the the secondary in general will be improved from last year. It's going to be hard to be a whole lot worse, but I think you'll see strides for it going in the right direction this year. I'm fairly confident of that group right now. Hey, let's take a quick commercial break, and then on the other side of it, I'll probably answer three or four more questions, wrap things up, and that'll be the end of this Ask Me Anything episode of On the Bench. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Welcome back to On the Bench. Wrapping up the Ask Me Anything episode here. I don't know if this has been good or not. You guys, let me know. Probably hurt my feelings on the message board, and then, uh, and then we'll see if we'll do this ever again or not. Probably not. No remorse. You asked, can we do a section on the pod covering the Supreme Court NCAA case and its implications? So, yes, I'll I'll talk about it briefly here. Uh, I think having the entire group uh, with Chris and Josh to kind of flesh this out a little bit and go over it more in depth would would be good and a fun exercise. But what I can say about the Supreme Court and NCAA, and I assume you're asking about that's not specified here, but but I believe it's about uh, name, image and likeness and and that kind of moving forward. Uh, So the state of Florida has actually been pretty progressive in this regard. And and what we're going to see pretty soon here, I believe, is for schools like Florida, Florida State, UCF, so basically public schools and any I guess any school technically in the state to be allowed to do some name, image, and likeness stuff where players are getting uh compensation for those things, I think we will see FSU end up having a third-party uh, company or firm to kind of help players, student athletes is what they're going to call it, but we'll say that there's the athletes, the players. Uh, maximize their their brands and their images and in ways to where they can make generate revenue with businesses locally or even nationally so i think florida state's already kind of planning for that to happen i think they're gonna have something in place here in the near future for when that does go through to basically make it to where that that's going to be an attractive thing for recruits uh for student athletes to say hey like fsu is helping us gain increased exposure to make money off of our names to help with branding. I I think that's ultimately like a really good thing for, for players. Uh, It feels fair for them to be able to, to make money off your own name, right? Like I think that's fair for anyone in theory. So FSU being proactive and going ahead and doing that, I think is a really good thing. Makes sense. Uh, We'll go more in depth on that uh, later. No remorse, but, but yeah, that's, that's something to keep an eye on here in the future. And again, I think FSU is doing a really good job taking steps towards to, to doing something productive there. FSU alum 04 says hangover food, Guthrie's or village Inn. So here in Tallahassee, I mean, Guthrie's, I, I to me, it's not even like a hangover food. It's like a, a drunk food. Um, uh, that's a place you go where you would go back in the, the day where I'd go, well, I wasn't in college here, but in my you know, late 20 or early 20s, I should say, uh, you go out and then, uh, you walk your way over to Guthrie's and, and sober up and, and let that, that chicken and the, the garlic bread kind of do the trick and soaking up some of the booze. Um, I haven't been to Village Inn, so I, I can't attest to that. I would say, to me, Whataburger would always be my hangover food. still is. Like, if I'm not feeling great, uh, Whataburger the next day. Either get that chicken tender honey barbecue sandwich or just the classic Whataburger. Makes everything all right. Matt 329 asks, Buyer Sunone, the players on defense have confidence in Adam Fuller's scheme. I am buying it. I think that he has a grasp of his personnel, uh, which he was able to kind of get late last year, get the right guys in the right spot. So it was able to kind of, even for me, like I was able to reasonably project the depth chart on defense pretty accurately, just by kind of knowing what, what, what seeing what he knew he had or thought he had, which I don't think he had a great grasp of it, In the beginning of the year, and that's where not having the spring and having a really disjointed preseason really hurt FSU a lot in terms of the new staff not really kind of figuring that out quickly. uh, Now you have a full season, kind of knowing where guys play, where they can maximize. Like say Jarvis Brownlee, you had him at nickel earlier in the year, and he was solid there, but he ended up playing really well outside late in the year. And now they have him outside here in the spring, Uh, and so that would be an example of that. You know Amari Gainer. They wanted to try to transition him to one of the inside linebacker spots last year, going from stud to inside linebacker, um, and they just they weren't able to do that smoothly in the middle of the year, by their own admission. Like it was just tough to get Amari like playing a brand new position at a high level. It was a lot to ask of him in the middle of the year because what they were doing with Stud out in space versus one of the inside linebacker spots just so much different of a skill set. But so now you got here him there this spring. He's apparently catching on there. You got him closer to the ball, which I think is a ultimately a good thing and a good use for him. I was thinking defensive end, but but even in this Will linebacker spot, they're gonna be able to blitz him a lot off the edge and and allow him just to kind of be Amari, be an athlete in a short area of space, which I think could be a really good thing. So I think they've gotten guys who've committed to Adam Fuller in there. At this point, if they wanted to be gone, they could have they could have left. Uh, maybe you see a few more leaves at the end of the spring, but, but right now I think guys are, are largely buying into to his scheme i think once you do that that means that you can start learning it start kind of to to master it so i think we'll see strides in that area i'm optimistic right now that that there will be improvement and buy-in to what adam fuller is doing with the defense okay one or two more questions here let's see nino zoe Ninozi, nanosey nino zoe Buyer Sonone, you just wrote BRS, which works because that's my initials, but you couldn't just write Buyer Sonone. This team is substantially improving over both last year and the start of Supreme practice this year. Buyer team is substantially improving. The word substantial is what's giving me pause here to not just straight up say say bye. Um, you know, from a talent perspective, I'm still. Hesitant to say you're going to see like a ton of turnaround and you only won three games last year in a nine game season. Um and I think six wins is still realistic here in a 12 game season. So, you know what I, I will buy, I will buy that this team is substantially improving what I'm seeing right now. And it's early, it's early in the off season and it's easier to, it's easier to kind of see some of that quote unquote buy-in in the off season. Cause really it's like what, ultimately developed buy-in is winning games and you have to show that you like for for a coach to get that full-on commitment like that the work that's being put in in the offseason the messages that you're showing the coaching the scheme that you're doing has to lead to to wins for guys to continue to to buy in like them losing to Georgia Tech last year was killer in that opener because I think it just caused a lot of guys to start checking out a, a fairly fragile group now, I do think that that what they've done with adding some of these transfers is going to be big time, like like Jermaine Johnson and Jamie Robinson, McKinsey Milton, in terms of elevating the that culture and, and that quote-unquote buy-in. Um, I, I do think that's going to be helpful for when things go wrong to have guys that are experienced, that are at the very end of their careers and are going to be very businesslike. Like Jermaine Johnson strikes me as someone who's very businesslike, kind of handles his business every single day, comes with energy, is committed to making guys around him better because he knows what his path to getting to be an early first round pick is he handles his business and everyone else plays well around him. So he comes across to me as someone who is very much so advanced in his football career, knowing he's about to take the next step and is going to hold everyone around him accountable, but especially hold himself accountable. So you get those kind of personalities into the locker room, onto the practice field. That's super valuable. And I'm already seeing that kind of starting to trickle over with, with some younger guys kind of, gravitating towards like a Jermaine Johnson. Uh, Derek McClendon is someone that, that Mike Norvell mentioned as one stepping up, but two kind of him seeing some of these veterans like Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett, Dennis Briggs, guys who've been here for multiple years Uh, in addition, and especially to Jermaine Johnson, kind of seeing how they are handling themselves. Uh, So, so you see those veterans start to do it. Now the younger guys are starting to kind of be pulled along too. Uh, And then you have the very young guys like the true freshmen, like Malik McClain, Joshua Burrell, that, are still very raw but are just frankly like busting their asses all the time that are pushing the guys above them so so what you do is you have some veterans that have either bought in by committing to Mike Nervell and staying here or uh, transferring here that are kind of pulling at the top end and then the younger guys pushing the bottom so uh, I'll make one more floor and ceiling analogy like I think that the ceiling of this team is starting to be raised a little bit but more so guys like I think the floor is I think the the baseline of competency of guys kind of understanding the program of understanding the scheme, like understanding the expectation that Mike Norvell and his assistants have. I think that's all better than it was this time a year ago, or even in, in the preseason, uh, you're seeing a lot of, a lot of the little things like lining up correctly or not lining up correctly. I should say, get cleaned up a better, just grasp of, of understanding what, what they're supposed to do and what it's going to take to win. So, um, yeah, I'm, Ninozawi, N- I'm buying it. This team is improving, and I would dare say substantially so. I think it leads to, to improvement, wins and losses on the field. If you can get to six wins this season, I keep saying it, I think you have a pretty bright future under Mike Norvell uh, with development and recruiting. Okay, let's see. Last page here of Ask Me Anything. Uh, it's starting to kind of derail a little bit, so I think we may be wrapping up. Yeah, Tampa, Tampa Nolo, 77 776 Asked, how pissed were the FSU trainers at Willie about the dehydration debacle against Boise State? How he blamed it on them? Yeah, yeah. That the, I don't think that was received very well at all by what Willie Taggart said on that show. And that's why he had to kind of do the backtrack and did really the overdramatic thing by saying he never said that at all, which he clearly did, even as he, whatever. Uh, that, was, that was, to me, at that point, I was like, okay, Willie is uh, feeling very, very cornered right now. That was an interesting time to be covering the program. Uh, Tampa Noel also asks compare the girls at UCF to FSU. No, I'm not going to do that here. I mean, there's quality, quality across the state. You're in Florida. Uh, I met my wife at FSU, so FSU, <laughs> yes, smooth. FSU MD says who is the physically most talented wide receiver with the most potential on the team right now? Malik McLean. It's Malik McLean right now. Uh, the highest upside. It's him. He does a few things that just make you say, wow, that like at that size, to be able to kind of turn and adjust the way he does, a straight line speed. Uh, Ken Trompotier has a lot of that too, uh, especially like the acrobaticness and the ability to kind of twist and contort in the air at his size. I'm really looking forward to seeing Destin Hill in person, however. Noel Chris, 2020 OTB coming to YouTube this month, question mark. Man, I, I we're moving in that direction. It's not going to be any time this month, though. I, I think that's something that the company does want to do. Uh, but they have to allocate some some people to help us with it. I'm not a video guy. Uh, we would have to probably need someone to help edit and, and produce it and make it look nice and be able to turn it into, like, really clean content. So, uh, you know, we'll need some help with that. But it is something I think that people want want to uh, – you're not the only one asking for it. It's something that hopefully we can do. Uh, and then finally, Upward Null asks, why? Why what? I don't know. I think that's a great time to end this episode of On the Bench. Uh, thank you everyone who participated. I Answered pretty much every other question that I could on the on the Knowles twenty four seven message board and the Ask Me Anything thread. So so thank you to uh, to all of you for asking questions, for playing along. Uh, if you like this format of a podcast, it's something I could do once a month. I don't mind. It's only an hour of my time. I get to hear myself talk. I get to have fun and inter- interact with you guys. I get to drop in some nuggets. I get to talk bourbon every now and then. So it's fun. Uh, fun for me. If it's fun for you guys, let me know. Five star review. Say you like it. If you don't like it. Don't give me a one-star review, please. Don't give On the Bench a one-star review. Every time you give me a one-star review, you're giving Chris Knee a one-star review. Or if you give us a four-star review because you don't like me, you're giving Zach Blossian a four-star review, basically. You think Zach deserves a four-star review or a three-star review because he's associated with me? No, no, don't do that. It doesn't help. And also, I'm going to end on this note. The one weirdo who keeps posting the same negative thing about me on The iTunes reviews, but just using the same one over and over again to make sure it's at the top. I may be weird. You're weirder. You're weirder. For On the Bench, I am Brendan Sinone. We'll be back next week with Chris Nee, with Josh Newberg, with Zach Blasstein we got spring practice to go over. we got a ton of recruiting stuff to kind of preview for the big spring game coming up this upcoming week. So stick with us on the bench. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get it dropped right into your feed right away. Again, five-star reviews. Haven't asked for that in a little while. It would legitimately be helpful. I know a joke about it, but it does help us out and grow the show. So please continue to do that, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.